Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. So I'm not going to say that my dog will stop hunting birds if I put them on fur. But when I go out to hunt with my dog, I'm hunting birds. So I'm I'm not going to shoot other stuff. Hey everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY. We're sitting here with Austin as always and Adam Williams is making his return to the podcast this week. What's going on fellas? There was a high demand to have Adam back, so we had to do it. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, I'm excited. I had a really good time last time. Good time. Well, this time, guys, we're just going to talk about uh, myth busting. There's a lot of myths, stereotypes, whatever you want to call it out there in uh, the gun dog training world, and uh, a lot of them have some uh, reasoning behind it. Some of it is just, hey, this is how everybody's looked at it in the past. Uh, We're we're just going to go over a lot of the more popular ones and the ones that people hear more regularly and we're going to give our thoughts and opinions on it it doesn't make it right but uh we're just going to throw it out there and hopefully some people agree with us disagree with us whatever i think it's a lot of good information out there but i think it'll be fun we have a lot to get through today yeah absolutely and what's going to end up happening is is i'm going to end up talking about some myth that uh at least i hope you guys can resolve it for me because Otherwise, I'm just going to be talking circles over here trying to figure out what's what, you know. So. <laughs> what else is new? Exactly. <laughs> I uh, think we're going to disagree on something. We need to. There wasn't enough disagreement last time. We need some more disagreement. Okay, I'm ready. All right. <laughs> so we'll get through this episode, and then Austin and Adam will go fight outside and uh, resolve their differences after this episode. But uh, speaking of that, fighting, safety first. <laughs> I guess I guess Austin needs to be kept in the gunner kennel, keep, keep you away from uh, Adam Williams. So uh, He'll be re- safe in there. And it does have a lock that is great on those things. <laughs> so you want so, us to lock you in there, there away you from Adam? There you go. In all seriousness, guys, if you're on the market for a uh, kennel, can't go wrong with a gunner. That's the only option for you. It's the lifetime warranty. It's American-made. It's crash-tested. It's everything you need in a kennel. It uh, keeps your dog safe, comfortable, has all the 
accessories that you need and can imagine. And if you're interested, please go to our website at gundogityourself.com and click on the link to go to gunner.com and uh, it'll really help us out and help the podcast going. And then also, in addition to Gunner, we have Duck Camp. We just finished up our first giveaway. If you missed it, you should have been on Instagram. You should have followed us. But uh, they have really good stuff. I know they just came out with some brush pants that uh, seem to be getting a lot of good good recommendations from everybody, and everybody's enjoying it. But they have everything that you need for wing shooting, outdoors in general, fishing. They have everything that you can imagine. Go check them out at duckcamp.com. Tell them that we sent you. If you buy something from them, uh, post it on uh, Instagram. Tag us in it. Tag them in it. Let them know that that's how you heard about them. And uh, y'all follow us on social media, obviously. Uh, Gundog it yourself on Instagram and Facebook. That's where we had Instagram's where we had the giveaway for Duck Camp. The lucky two winners they got their uh, hats that they picked out. So be dropping in the mail this week. That's right. So uh, we'll be doing more of those. But follow us on social media and if you need the next one. If you uh, get pissed off at us on this episode, we say something that you really disagree about instead of fighting at them, you can just shoot us an email at gundogityourself at gmail.com. And while you're at it, go give us a uh, rating, review, share us. Five stars. Five stars. If you uh, don't think we're worth five stars, let us know why. Yep. So with... Without anything else to talk about, let's just do it, man. Let's just jump in. We got a lot of lot to talk about, so I guess the first one that we should talk about this first uh, myth or stereotype that seems to be uh, going around to everybody is uh, people say you can't start training until the dog is six months or even up to a year old. What do you guys think about that? Adam, lead us off. I think it depends on how you define training. If the if you're trying to put a dog on a force fetch table at six months old, it's probably way too early. If you're trying to do anything really refined with the dog, it's probably too early. But I like to talk about, you hear these guys talk about baby steps all the time. I like to talk about planting seeds. So there's little little hints you can drop to the dog. So later on, they're like, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. So I yeah. think you can plant seeds. I think you can start into some baby steps. But if you're trying to do any real formal training, it's probably too early. Yeah. Well, I think where this comes a lot from is some trainers, more old school trainers. I know uh, probably the most popular one, one is Delmar Smith. He, uh, in his book, Notoriously, he they wrote that he believed in not starting to train his dog on anything until they're a year old. In the book, it said that he believed that it prepared the dog better they're more mentally mature and able to take instruction and direction and it made his life easier and now that there's a couple i've seen on social media a couple times people saying that it wasn't more so about the dog being ready to train it was more so back in the day old school trainers they didn't do that until they're a year old because of the health concerns that they didn't have the shots and the preventative uh um Vaccinations. Vaccinations. Thank you. That we we have nowadays. And so they a lot of trainers didn't want to put the time and energy and effort in training those dogs until they were a year old because they felt that they would spend a lot of time and energy training them and then they would get sick and die. 
I don't know how much stock I put into that because I read the book. It said nothing about that. I read that part too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah not, so not it, in there. I think that if that's his frame of thought, then he would have at least made a mention of that in his book. I know he personally didn't write the book. He had a ghostwriter or whatever you want to call it, but that's what was in the book. So I, I don't know how you want to take that. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And, and that is really the um, – uh, that's – as far as maturity, the only other reason that's like a logical reason that I've heard is what you just talked about. I've never heard that until on social media when I started reading it. I was like, well, that kind of makes sense. You're going to wait it out and see if the dog survives its its first uh, yeah. whatever it comes in contact with or not and um, then get into it. But, you know, I, I think that it all goes back to really the maturity aspect of it and and at this point, you know, and a lot of these, and especially in the German system, I mean, they start early on the stuff. We talked, Adam hit on force fetch earlier. And really, I believe a lot of those guys, they just go by puppy teeth, which is as soon as they get their, their adult teeth in, which is sometimes around six months, they go straight into force fetch and they just, you know, they go into that real, um, real, invigorating type of training you know and we have more on force fetch to come later on in this one yeah and so i think that uh obviously you don't have to wait until they're six months or a year to start training but you and i think what i was getting earlier is earlier is is that maybe you might want to wait a little later to get into the real intense training a lot of people just go straight into that intense training, especially with the German breeds that they think are built for being able to keep up with that type of training. I'm of the opinion that you get the dog, you start working the dog. As soon as you bring them home, uh, you're not putting them on birds when you get them slow introduction. I mean, great training. I consider training. Like I, it, it kind of, de- like Adam said, what are you defining as training? Are you talking about basic obedience or are you talking about field work? If you're talking about field work, then it's just kind of you go when the dog's mature and and ready for it. But to me, I'm going to knock this one as a myth and just say start training the dog when you get it and go at the pace of the dog, and that's the importance of knowing your dog. Yeah, we've all talked a lot outside of the podcast. So telling the dog to load up when it's at the back of the truck, kennel, I get to go through the door first and then you can come through maybe not formalized healing, but not yanking my arm off on the leash. A lot of people define that as training. So I would say start training the dog. I agree. When you get at home, you're starting to socialize the dog and get him used to things and yeah, starting to train it. I honestly could not imagine having a dog and (laughs) keeping it in a run, a kennel run and getting it out when it's a year old and you say, okay, now it's time, you know, I mean, think about that. There's no fun in that. Yeah. And, and you know, there's a ton of old school trainers that still have that mentality. I could not, that is so much wasted time. Yeah. In my opinion, it's especially, that's, that's a good point because these dogs, let's just say a lot of these dogs live to 14, 15 years old, but some of the breeds their their life expectancy. 10 or 11, but let's say 10 years old, you just spent 10% of that dog's life doing nothing over, over a myth, in my opinion. And the thing is, is that the logic behind that is, is 
Well, it's less of a headache to deal with them when yeah. they're older. You can train them and they hold up easier. They listen to you a little better. But I don't, man, I couldn't imagine just getting a dog out of the kennel run and be like, okay, let's go let's point go. some birds. Let's go. You, I'm going to teach you how to whoa real quick. And then, <laughs> I mean, that's to me, it, that's stuff that is that foundational stuff that gets done way earlier. Right. I think this myth stems from professional trainers when they have someone call them, contact them, and say, I want to send my dog to you. Okay, how old's your dog? Six months. <laughs> Too young. So then I don't the, want to the deal myth, with that six-month-old so, pup. So the myth begins. They're like, oh, yeah, you can't train a dog till yeah. it's six months old. I think. So, maybe. So I think to sum this up real quick, I'm calling it a myth. Adam called it a myth. Austin, you're calling it a myth. Myth. Too. Okay, so unanimous, that one's a, a myth. Uh, so – Vice versa, the next one, my dog is X years old. Let's just call it five years old. Is that too old to start training? Absolutely. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Put it down. I actually, I can tell you, um, we have a buddy uh, that just started. I think his Three. short hair is, and she's four now. Is she four? Yeah, she's okay. four. She just turned four. And... Um, that dog did not have a ton of exposure, had never been exposed to any upland birds really until this summer. And, um, man, by the end of the summer, she was, and this was just on just exposure, bird contacts. She was just hitting points and, um, you know, going through and she would, she would pick up the birds and she wasn't retrieving to hand, but I mean, she had a good natural retrieve. Uh, it's it's not too late. You know, I think that's the thing. A lot of people think once their dog gets past two years old or something that, oh man, I missed my, my opportunity. You know, if that dog has got it, I think it's got it. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's too old. The old saying of you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I totally disagree. So I think this is a myth. It's not too late. Yeah. I saw one uh, post on social media not too long ago about, a Vishla that um, I want to say was eight years old that uh, ran utility for the first time and yep. and I think got a prize one and was you know, My deal good is, with duck search and everything that had been exposed to ducks or anything. Right. I think that's what the, the post was about, but yeah, not too old. Yeah, that that's my deal. It's yeah, these dogs. It may take longer to get through to them. Trying to bring that instinct out that's been kind of laying dormant for four or five years, especially if they've just been laying on the couch. But it's in their DNA. It may take a little bit of push to get it out, but you can get it out, and we've seen it happen already. So, uh, yeah, if you if you get an older dog, then the the thing with that that I think some people may mistake. Um, being able to teach older dogs or train older dogs to do something is what that owner handler or whoever it is that's been dealing with the dog has done throughout its life. 100%. I was going to say there's two categories. There's the couch dog that Nick was just talking about. That dog might be hard to teach, but the one that's five years old or whatever that's already been trained to do a lot of different things you can probably teach that dog to go get a beer out of the cooler <laughs> a lot easier than another dog because it understands how to train. It understands it's, how to it's get learned rewarded. To learn. And it's, it understands how to turn off pressure. Yeah, and right. And um, on the flip side of that, though, is you get these dogs that – one example that I've heard 
is there was a guy that I was talking to, and he has a Brittany. And for whatever reason, we may need to get Tony on the podcast, but he goes squirrel hunting with his Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> and so, anyhow, uh, Griff, he was... A Griff, not a Brittany. No, I got... I, this is about somebody else. I was, oh, okay. I was saying we need to get Tony involved because he's the only guy I know that goes through the woods and and oh, squirrel hunts with you. his with his bird dog all the time but anyways this guy had a britney and he was shooting squirrels and not allowing the dog to go retrieve them for whatever reason i don't know what the deal was um but he was talking to me he said that then the dog when he started shooting birds would not go retrieve or would not go you know pick up the bird and and i'm sitting here going well i mean the only exposure that this dog had for X years was him just basically being a companion dog with you walking through the woods and you shooting squirrels and not allowing him to retrieve. So as far as not being able to teach old dogs new tricks, you know, as long as you're not doing something in those earlier years, that's going to confuse that dog or teach the dog to do the opposite, then uh, I think it's a, you know, a clean slate. So I think this is another unanimous uh, myth on our part. Myth. And Tony, we love going squirrel hunting with you, man. <laughs> Wire air pointing Griffon, the squirrel dog in the south. <laughs> uh, so moving on to the next one. Uh, I have a X-month-old pup. Call it five-month-old pup. Drops the bumpers at my feet. I need to start force fetch immediately. Yeah, I think five months is too young for yep. force fetch. And then it comes down to... What do you want out of the dog? Do you want a finished retrieve? I want my dog to not drop it until I reach down, put my hand on the bird, and say out. And then the dog needs to move its head away from the bird. But a dog that drops it at your feet, I mean, that's... This isn't even a dog. This is a pup. Five-month-old pup. Yeah. Slow down, guys. Right. It's like I try and tell people, this this is coming from the versatile or or upland perspective. perspective. You can hunt a dog that won't retrieve in the upland. You can't hunt an upland dog that retrieves with no... That won't hunt. So, concentrate on the first part. Concentrate on the hunting and the pointing and all that, developing that. You can clean up the retrieve later on. And like you said earlier, Austin, just the physical makeup of the dog, it's not even prepared for force fetch at five months old typically, let alone mentally. So, the puppy teeth's not even out, so you know, the hold and carry and all that stuff that you're going to be doing on force fetch. It's not even ready for that. But mentally is a lot of dogs aren't even mentally prepared at a year old. Yeah. I'm not going to say a lot, but some dogs aren't. Yeah. And so you're doing it that five, six months old, slow down, change your perspective a little bit and realize that I'm asking my five month old dog to complete hundred percent clean retrieve process that it's not trained for. That's crazy slow down you'll get there and you can clean it up later especially if this is dropping it at your feet you know what there's bigger fish to fry that's like bringing your four-year-old into the sanctuary and expect (laughs) him to behave just let him go to children's church for a while you know what i mean you don't do that old church thump that church (laughs) flick that we've all been raised with So a quick rabbit hole if i can i love how honest joe is about everything hunting dog everything we're just talking before we started this podcast I said, man, I really like Jack. He's a good-looking dog. He's got a cool personality. And he goes, yeah, but he won't retrieve. And I was like, well, if you want him to retrieve, then you should do force fetch. And he goes, 
yeah, it's not that important to me. <laughs> so, so it's uh, it, yeah. it comes down to. I know this is not you know this is way off the myth, but it comes down just on the topic of force fetch. What does the guy want? Yeah. If Joe's happy with jack pointing birds, and like you're saying, be able to hunt them, and maybe he brings it back halfway, maybe he looks at it and goes, "There's your bird. You pick it yeah. up." Then that's a good time in the woods still, yeah. you know? Now, I mean, obviously the retriever world might be a little different, but at the same time, physically capable of going through the training at five months, it's not even ready. And yeah. so my deal is when go slow. When I'm so like, I'm just trying to do this in my head real quick. Not real great with math, but five months. I mean, you're talking <laughs> about, that's like 20 weeks. 22 yeah. weeks, maybe. Yeah. That's crazy for me to think about yeah. putting a dog through force fetch or even starting it. But I, I'll tell you this, and I don't think, you know, you mentioned this earlier, the guys that are even going off the puppy teeth thing, you know, do they have their puppy teeth mm-hmm. in or out or adult teeth in, whatever. You know, they're at that age, that is definitely too young. I will say some people, you know, I, I think even in the lab world, they'll do this quite a bit. I think seven or eight months is kind of a – range that some people will start doing force fetch um i you know i i don't know i, I don't know what the right on, answer it depends on the dog yeah it, a general rule of thumb i would say around a year year old for a for a good complete force fetch program i'm just gonna say just around a year whether yeah. that's 11 months 13 months Whatever, but bottom line is, I think this is another unanimous myth. That's three for three, I think, on all our parts. Like, if you have a young pup, five months, six months old, there's more important things. And here's the thing, too, guys. A quick thing about puppy retrieves. It is totally cool. Some people, there's a myth out there that's like you shouldn't retrieve with your puppy because there is... um, because they made well, let's just go ahead and do that myth because it's on the list. Oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. So don't do retrieves with your puppy. That's, yeah. That's another myth out there. So do retrieves with your puppy. Yeah. Play with your puppy. Don't be that guy like, I'm not doing retrieves with my puppy because they can't mentally grasp it. And, again, this is – Adam, what's your thoughts on this one? I don't care either way, really. So this might be one where we disagree. This will be fun. If you're going to do force fetch with the dog, who cares if you do retrieves or not because I'm going to make it the dog's job. It's still going to enjoy fetching. It's not going to go out there with its tail between its legs. But yeah. if I'm going to do force fetch or trained retrieve, whatever you want to call it, then it doesn't matter if it plays around. It's a game. When you're doing it with a puppy, it's a game. That's my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Well, this goes back to how – I talked about how to gun intro, you know, I, I do that build and retrieve drive. So I'm going to teach my puppy to retrieve or like, enjoy it so that I can start introducing noises and stuff and help building drive for game, you know? And so that's the reason that I would say, yeah, do the puppy retrieves, you know, do that. It doesn't matter if they may run off with it for a little bit and then parade around before they bring it maybe you know, halfway back to you or whatever. It's just trying to build. We're not expecting a clean process. We're not expecting a finished retrieve, just like the the previous one we were on. It's it's just, I use it like you as a training scenario. It helps build drive. I use it as a way for training sessions to finish off the training sessions in a fun way to where it wants them to come back to another training session. So I do retrieves with my puppy. I don't enforce bad habits with them, but I'm not – 
enforcing a perfect clean retrieve, if that makes sense. And so I think this is another one unanimous. Uh, we need no, to he, he said don't. Oh, did you say don't? <laughs> no, I said I don't care either way. That's, uh, that's, yeah. so, that's a nay. So it helped. <laughs> now that I think about it, after you guys talk, I with Mitchell, I didn't do a lot of puppy retrieves, but Jackie did. Yeah, a lot. She was doing the socks down the hall and all yeah. that stuff. So then, when I started force fetch, it kind of helped. Yeah. Now that I think about it, but with my first dog, I tried. I read too many books and read <laughs> stuff that was like play retrieving games with your dog, but if it doesn't bring it back, turn away from him. So I was doing weird stuff in my front yard, like sitting down and turning my back to my dog and my puppy's like, I don't care. This is still fun. And my neighbors were probably thinking what's wrong with this guy. But, uh, so do you went from indifferent to you're saying fact or fiction myth or something to it? I think it's beneficial to do, to do, uh, retrieves. All right. Puppy. And let, so let me hit I've on one. Let me hit on another one while we're on the subject. Doing fun retrieves while you're in the middle of force fetch. Oh, yeah. Is that a myth or what? I'll tell you this. I don't do it. Yeah. I know he does. Adam does. No. You you had a fun bumper, though, right, that you have? I didn't have a fun bumper. I had a go-to bumper if he started getting sour on on something that was difficult. I could go, all right, let me reach in here and grab this lightweight canvas dumbbell. And it it wasn't a game, but it was like, oh yeah, I can I can hold and carry that thing. So I had huh. a I had a go to bumper. Did you, Nick? What about you? Did you do fun bumpers? No, you didn't. No, not during force fetch. Damn it! I want us to disagree on something. Well, here. well, we're gonna get there. I <laughs> we'll find yeah. one that we disagree on here soon. There are people that do it. Yeah, I guess so they're the, just not. So in this the guy room. that like taught me how to do force fetch and guided me through the process said, yeah, you can still do fun retrieves, no problem. Yeah. Just, just don't use the it. word fetch or whatever word right. you're going to use because it's not a uh, – you're not making the dog do it. It's just a fun thing. And make – that's the wrong way to explain it. You're not <laughs> You're not enforcing anything. Okay. It's just go get it's it, fun. whatever. It's just having fun. You can drop it at my feet if you want to. So I did that initially – Maybe that's what you're remembering is initially I'm like, all right, I'll do these fun retrieves mixed in with this force fetch. And then I was like, nope, this doesn't work anymore. Yeah. I'm just not going to do any more fun retrieves until my deal is force fetch. It's not the most fun training. It's rigorous. It takes forever to get through it. I don't want to do anything that take away from me getting off that table quicker. If that makes sense. I want the the cleanest, most productive process through that program so I can get back to what I enjoy in field and water work. I don't enjoy the table work, so I want to get off that table. I, me avoiding some fun retrieves, whatever you want to call or it. X weeks. Trash time, some yeah. people call it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to avoid that for eight weeks just so that I can finish the program, and then we can get back to doing good retrieves. And that, so I think that's another unanimous one. Let's let's hit on another one. Let's try and find something that we can kind of disagree with because right now it seems just, like everything's myths here. I'm about to start making something up then here in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have a feeling this one's going to be a unanimous one, but I know Adam loves this one. Uh, teaching your dog to heal too early will hurt the dog's search in the field later. 
for a German short hair, not going to hurt him, most likely, <laughs> right? Uh, but, I, again, it depends I think you're on, getting into German short hair myths already. Yeah. Well, what I'm talking about is high-drive dogs. So, uh, I saw a – and this doesn't apply to all Broncos, but I saw a Bronco that was a young dog, and he didn't want to go out and search. And for that guy, I would say, man, do not teach your dog how to heal yet because the dog didn't want to leave his side anyway. So, that's the myth uh for my dog for any of the dogs we have we've taught them to heal and they have no problem going out we had the dogs out this morning and at one point i was like man mitchell's 200 yards away and i taught him to heal very young i don't think we even need to spend that much time on this one i think it's it's pretty obvious teach your dogs to heal it's not going to affect them in the field Uh, unless you have something specific you want to touch on austin I, i think that's pretty pretty easy one we all agree with no, I think Adam hit on the key point that I would like to address is just if you've got a dog that is not uh, – that you feel is not searching well or, um, you know, just doesn't have a lot of adventure or independence, then maybe you want to do some field searches beforehand. But I think the uh, – I think I got to say it's a myth overall. All right. Well, let's get into some uh, pointing stuff then. What do you feel that uh, there's a lot of people that seem to have the opinion that, uh, especially when they first start out on their first dog, they, for whatever reason, they feel like, I have to teach my dog how to point. I thought that with my first dog. I thought, man, I've got to find somebody that has pen-raised quail. I've got to go out and give my dog some birds so I can make him a bird dog because I read again I read somewhere in a book some little quote that says it takes birds to make a bird dog and there's yeah you need some birds to train the dog for steadiness for example but to teach the dog to point that's like saying I need to go teach my son to pick up a stick and pretend that it's a gun (laughs) he's gonna do that on his own he's a boy just like he's gonna take a a race car and zoom it back and forth on the table. No one had to teach him how to do that. I'm glad you connected the stick thing. I'm sitting here thinking, <laughs> what is he like, talking about? I, well, I pick up sticks. So I, <laughs> it's been a yeah, it's been a minute since I've used a stick as a as a gun. But no, I, I mean you you're right. Yesterday, that's and that's you know it. what somebody will probably say. Well, yeah, but your son does that because he saw you with a gun or he watched a movie. Okay, so slight difference. The dog does it because it's genetic. Yeah, God, yeah. We need to think of a good analogy just based on genetics, but I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, so that that's another easy one. You're not teaching the dog how to point; it's in their DNA. You're bringing that instinct out in them. It might show up in a flashpoint. We've seen some puppies that literally they freeze, but I mean, it's like no matter what, the puppies will eventually freeze and it's hilarious watching it because they will freeze and they will literally look at you and be like, I don't know why I'm stopped. I'm just stopped here. I don't know what I'm doing. And then they'll, they'll start connecting the dots. It's with fascinating. The so here's the analogy. I think this is extreme. Let's do it. You don't have to teach a kid how to eat. Oh, you don't have to teach a bird dog how to point, right? <laughs> it's just, it's inherent. Yeah. That's that's the best one I can Let's, think of. Some show up later. Some show up earlier. Before we glaze over that, I want to say this is that, the, there are, uh, you know, people say they either got it or they don't with these bird dogs. So I, you know, I think there are some bird dogs that for whatever reason, lack the pointing instinct that you do have to train them to point. And 
whether that's something that obviously that's something you don't want in the gene pool, but because it's there and if you're trying to hunt with that dog, then it is something that you can train. It's something that as soon as they hit that scent cone, if you've taught woe, you can get them to understand to woe on scent. But the point is, is that typically we're not going to be training these dogs to point. It's just that on the off dog that you get, it, it, it happens. You, you would have to train that dog to actually be able to have a huntable dog. Yeah. So I get what you're saying, but I would still say that like we were talking about earlier with the older dogs, you're trying to bring that instinct out in them and you're still not. So even if you have to woe them into a point, if you're dealing with a dog that doesn't have it, you're still not teaching that dog how to physically point. I think you are because you're teaching them woe and you're teaching them to stand on scent. I would agree with that. But the, so we got to define what point is. A lot of people think, like when I got my first dog, I thought the dog had to lift one of its front legs to be considered. And a point. I'm glad you right? brought that up. So a lot of people so think that that's one. a myth. Yeah, definitely. We need to so, say yeah. On yeah, the record, I think, myth. I mean, that's a myth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If the dog stands still and its its nose is really what you're looking at, yeah. that's where the yeah. the bird is. But I have a video of my dog when it was like maybe nine weeks old. I like locked a pigeon's wings, put it out in the grass. <laughs> And he's running along full steam ahead, little puppy. And then all of a sudden you see him catch scent and he snaps his head towards that. Yeah. And he stopped for like a quarter of a second. And then he charged in on the, on the bird. I would define that as pointing. He, yes, he paused. He just hasn't developed had it, it refined, refined it. yet. Yeah. You know, and then the next one he goes, Oh, if I charge in too quick, it's going to bird buzz. flies yeah. away. I need to stand still, and then I get to stand here and soak up the scent or whatever it is that goes through yeah. their mind. Because so, you can take any dog out there, I mean, and teach the dog. By by your sentiment, if you take a dog out there and every time they catch scent on a bird and you yell sit, not even whoa, okay. and they sit on a bird, that would be the same sentiment as what you're getting at, and that's teaching a dog how to point. You're just replacing the whoa command with the sit. I, I guarantee you there's dogs out there that just get birdie and never stop on scent. I, 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 I would Well, there's not, some, but we're, we're just talking Then they have a bad about, handler. Well, then you're, then you're handling the dog into a point. Yeah. I guess what we're trying to recreate with bird launchers and stuff is the wild bird yeah. scenario. So that's, that's what I mean by bad handler. I get, I totally I, understand I, what y'all are to, saying. I shouldn't have I, to use the word woe. And associate that in the yard to stand still and then give that command. And if we're if we're going to talk about to refine a puppy's point, it should just be if you charge in on the bird, the bird it, flies away. That's right. the lesson. Yeah. My deal is if we talk about the one dog in a million, not a million, because it's more often than that. We know that one dog in a hundred. Then you can apply any of these quote unquote myths. Yeah. To that sentiment, because even the dog that. Okay, so yeah, majority of your dogs, if you teach your dog like what we were just talking about, heal, it shouldn't affect their drive in the field. But there's going to be a dog out there that it could. And so if you apply that sentiment to any of these myths, but we're just talking about, like you said, the average. Generality. Yeah. Yeah. General. Yeah. Yeah. General rule of thumb. I agree. There's special cases out there. Yeah. But, you know, that that would be my 
my counter argument to what you're saying is woeing them into a point. Well, it's like, okay, if I teach my dog to sit every time they smell a bird, is that teaching them to point? No, they're sitting. Right. So you're not <laughs> teaching your dog to point is my what I'm getting at. I, I see what you're saying. But I it, it yeah, I see what you're saying. It, it just changes it from a natural, a natural thing into an obedience command. Yeah. Yeah, it so, should be ideally in a bird dog. It should be genetic, I think, is yeah. what. But overall, the myth is busted. Around. It is a <laughs> you don't teach your dog to point. Hopefully, we all, I mean, we all have dogs that point naturally. But if you, you know, on the whole well, we here. Can argue Lucy does. <laughs> I've seen her point occasionally. She no, points. I've seen her point. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, um, but so, yeah. Myth busted. Okay, so we all agree on that, but we kind of had a little disagreement finally on that a little bit. A little caveat. Yeah. Uh, So real quick, this one kind of works into what we've already talked about a little bit. I have a pointing puppy at 12 weeks old. The pup doesn't point. I don't think the dog has it in them. I think we kind of touched on this. It's kind of the same thing about the retrieving. Go slow, give them more time exposure yeah. exposure yeah they're yeah. not gonna lock up the example i gave about yeah. my dog early on he's not gonna lock up and hold point for a couple minutes he's curious he's a he's a toddler he's like yeah. what is that i want to charge in and see it but you really got to pay attention they are going to pause for a minute and you're going to see just yep. a bit of like we call hesitation it a point yeah hesitation yeah all right, so that that one was not even really worth discussing. Uh, move on to the next one. This is vice versa. You have a dog. It's established. You've trained it. You've hunted with it. How many times have you heard somebody say, man, I got to get my dog on birds uh, like as soon as possible or else it's going to forget how to point? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to raise my hand here. <laughs> I... Uh... Gosh, man, I think it was when we were trading for utility with Scout last or two two summers ago now, and I hadn't had him out in the field, hadn't had any contacts, and I don't know whatever the circumstances were, but it was like at least like three or four months, you know, and I was going, I sure hope that he knows what's going on in the field now, because <laughs> it's been a minute. He uh, knows. Not he necessarily knows. that he's going to forget how to point, but I do think that these dogs – you know, they obviously get a, they need a little tune up sometimes. I think you have to keep them polished up on steadiness, retrieving the hand, all the obedience stuff. But do I need to remind my dog to freeze for any amount of time when it smells a bird? No, it's in, it's inherent. Yeah, should be with good genetics. Yeah. So myth busted. Myth busted again. All right, the next one we've heard this. There's uh, there's popular guy i know he's been going around on a few podcasts i've heard him a number of times uh so you i'm sure everybody's heard heard this recently uh when you're first new getting into this what's the uh when people tell you that you've got to have 50 acres and homer pigeons to train a bird dog and if you say well what do i what happens if i don't have uh pigeons they say get pigeons you don't need that (laughs) It would help. I'd like absolutely. Have, it would. Help. I'd like to have fifty acres in a in a pen full of homing pigeons. Absolutely, it would. I think help. that's my problem right now. Yeah, I th- I think it would help, <laughs> but it's. I hate it when people say this because I firmly believe that I think it's a deterrent from getting more people involved because they think, oh, 
I don't have a farm in my backyard. I don't have a pigeon coop. I can't train a bird dog. That's a load of crock. A lot of it is, I mean, it ties into what we're talking about with pointing. It's instinctive. It's genetic. I mean, a lot of it is yard work and the rest of it is yeah. genetic. So you got to do a lot of yard work. Yeah. So you don't need 50 I mean, if you want At some tra- point, you need some space. You do need some space, but that's also what the training groups are for. That, yeah. That's what, find a buddy that you can go to on the weekends. Get and, on Craigslist and find yeah. some quail. Yeah. I mean, They're you, out there. They're, if you want to do this, you don't have to have a pigeon coop. You don't have to have homer pigeons. You don't have to have 100 acres in the backyard. Would it help? Absolutely. If you have that... Give me a shout. Let me know so I can come train at your place. <laughs> but you don't have to have it. Yeah, you don't have to have it. I could not imagine having bird dogs, though, without having a backyard, without having a little bit of land to let them run. Now, we know people that do it, and they have to do daily walks or exercising with their dogs so that they, so that I think both the owner and the, uh, the dog maintain a decent mental state because of, you know, the, they don't like being cooped up for too long, but you know, the thing is, is that you don't need a a ton of space. Um, now you, you definitely don't need pigeons, but you're going to obviously need exposure to some type of upland bird to be able to do that. And you want it to be a decent flying bird, you know, um, I, there has, I think this is, other than our coop that we've got going out here that we're trying to get all these birds in so we can have next training season, yep. uh, those are the only pigeons that I've really ever even came in contact with in training. And we hadn't even trained with them. Right. I mean, right. So we've, we use chucker and quail. Don't get me wrong. It's expensive. It's more effort on your part. But if you want to do this, you can do it, especially with the, all the NAVDA chapters around. You know, if you're involved in AKC, whatever, find a training group, find somebody in your area. There's there's a place somewhere near you. It may be an hour, hour and a half drive, but if you want to do it, you can do it, and you don't have to have it in your backyard. Yeah, that's the that is the truth. There's no need to have 50 acres and yeah, 50 pigeons. So. I think that's another one we all agree on. I think you can do a, a hallway and a wing on a string, right? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Myth so, busted. Uh, next one, I hear this one a lot. Uh, the parents of my puppy don't hunt, so my dog won't hunt. Well, hmm. Yeah, I'm hesitating, too. Because <laughs> you could end up lucky and the parents don't hunt, and maybe your dog does, but... Uh, I wouldn't like that situation. I, if I went to buy a puppy, can you give some content? And I said, "Let me, nope, let me that's watch. The, that's it. Let me watch the parents hunt." And the dude went out and put some birds out or whatever, yeah. and the dogs okay. didn't want to hunt. I'd Let, probably say, "I'm good. I'll find somebody else." All right. So context. Let me say it this way, Austin. You said you wanted a bird dog. Let's say you don't have a bird dog for Christmas. Your wife, parents, whoever ah, drops a puppy in your lap. And you're, it's a bird dog. It's it's a setter. It's not a gift. And it's a burden. <laughs> he gives it to you. Your dad <laughs> gives it to you. And you go looking at the parents and their show dogs, and they don't hunt. But let's say one side of the lineage they hunt. Yeah. 
I think this is that dog when I was talking about pointing earlier. I'm going to teach it to point. That way I can go hunt. <laughs> so with you're it. saying the parents haven't had an opportunity to hunt, right? Yeah. Oh, well, Obviously, hunt. look. I mean, you're going to go out and and expose the dog, and hopefully, it, it shows its natural uh, qualities that it's going to be pointing and hunting and searching and everything. You know. Now, um, that is the fear is that on a lot of these lines uh, that there's these the show lines that have lost the drive you know that have lost um i think a, just they're they're they obviously play a different game you know and so that's what you're working against will the dog not hunt because it's bred to have you know awesome furnishings and some like good you know gate or something i don't know i don't do confirmation stuff i can't tell you what they judge but the thing is is no it'll probably hunt you just got to get it out there and do yeah, some stuff they could have unknowingly continued to breed dogs that want to hunt even though that's not what they're breeding for or they could have unknowingly bred dogs that don't want to hunt and they wouldn't know because that's not what they're breeding for so yeah. a show dog could be a great hunter and it might not we just don't know because you have the parents had if it's a setter it's gonna point (laughs) (laughs) it may not retrieve but we'll get to that uh my deal is i'm not if i'm buying a dog i'm not buying a hunting dog from parents that don't hunt or like adam said that i don't see the parents work or or any of that but i'm not gonna sit here and say just because the parents don't hunt that your dog won't hunt. The only way to know that I'm going to say is to get them out on birds and just see, let's just see what the dog does, see what the instincts are, because even though the parents didn't hunt, maybe the grandparents did, or maybe, I mean, it's just these, these dogs, genetics and instincts never cease to amaze me. And so, you know, it, I think it could possibly surprise you. So I'm saying it's a myth. But not likely that you know. I I have no personal experience to base this off of, but I would say it is a myth. Um, I'll tell you this: I think we need to give uh, just a PSA here that we are saying if you're going to go out and buy a hunting dog, make sure that the dog's parents hunt. If you're getting in a situation where maybe you got a, a rescue or uh, like Nick said, you got gifted a dog and you may not know about the lineage or the parents, try it, you know, see if it's got it, you know, and, and go from there. All right. So that one's done. Um, vice versa. The parents do hunt or the parents are even like champions. That means my dog's going to be great. Well, that's what we hope. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it? (laughs) Adam, lead us off. I don't know if the dog will be great, but if the parents hunt, I would bet my money that that puppy will hunt. I'd bet my money that it will. Well, again, I think this is getting into the general versus the rare case, but like I had my buddy uh, Adam down in Memphis. He grew up, his family bred labs and everything, field champions, yada, yada, yada. And they kept one male out of one of their litters, and this litter was 
I mean, it, it had a waiting list for like three years for this litter to take. I mean, it was just one of those prize litters everybody's waiting on, calling, trying to get it, and they're like, all right, I'm keeping a pup out of this one. And to this day, I still love hearing s- stories about old Thor because that's the dumbest dog they've ever had and could <laughs> not figure out anything, and it ended up getting run over like three times. And so it's, I, I, I don't think it's a guarantee – and we've all seen it to where people, you know, sometimes the matchings just don't work like they're supposed to. There's a lot more to it. But yeah, that's that's what I think we need to hit on is that scientifically there's a lot more to it than yeah. than that. I mean, obviously, if you if you have a, a significant, you know, Again, inbreeding it, or something like that, then it can obviously hinder the dogs. But the thing is, is that. Uh, if you if you are doing like a line breeding that's got a a that's that's got good lineage in it and that line breeding's not crossed over to an inbreeding where you're getting too many like ancestors then I, you got a good chance of having a dog that's going to hunt. I think I think it goes back to what we covered on I think the first or second episode of this is do your research, but just because, say, a NABDA VC breeds to another VC, it that doesn't, doesn't mean, mean that it's producing a VC. It's just a likelier chance yeah. of producing a higher quality dog, but it's not It's not a given by any means. Adam's looking at me funny based on what I just said. Yeah, because I, I understand line breeding to be a nice way of saying inbreeding. It but depends it's on how many. And I don't it's know calculated. About <laughs> so it, it's going to depend on. Like the percentage, how many of the same ancestors are in that exact pairing? Number of like dogs. Yeah, number of like dogs, like the inbreeding coefficient that we see in on well, all those these are two pairings. Different things: inbreeding coefficient, percentage, and number of like dogs. Like in a ten generation pedigree, there's like two thousand forty six dogs. Right. And people will take number of people will say if you have unique dogs out of that. If you have three hundred to five hundred unique dogs, for example, people will say. Well, that right there is potentially an inbreeding because out of 2,000 and some odd dogs, you only have 300 to 500 that are different. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, what I was saying was, yeah, and I don't know the exact numbers, but what I was saying was is that if you have a a line breeding that we have a 25% coefficient, right? It's high. Yep. That right there, some people would say – is on the cusp of being between an inbreeding and a good line breeding that's got enough unique ancestors in it to where it's not a hindrance on the pedigree. And I'm not by any means some a scientist on this or anything like that, but just reading some stuff, I mean, what I was getting at is that there's a fine line between when Nick was saying yeah. there's some other stuff that goes into it, there's a fine line between having, you know, getting those two dogs that you like all the qualities in paired together and then potentially overlooking how many of the same dogs are in that pedigree. I don't know if enough about genetics <laughs> to have an intelligent conversation about it, but I understand a 25% coefficient of inbreeding to be like, I just had babies with my cousin, which is absolutely inbreeding, but in the dog world, we call it line breeding. It's acceptable with dogs, not acceptable. Some people, with people. say between twenty and thirty. If you get over thirty percent, that's when it's inbreeding. I don't know. I'm just telling you that 
it happens all the time where you've got how did we start talking about where this? you've got I think, 20 to 30 percent i think we'll let y'all fight after the, after the <laughs> podcast on this one because we need to get back on track on this one we can go down lime breeding versus outbreeding all the time but the answer to answer the original <laughs> question what was well, it was about the if you got parents on a hunt, yeah, the dog, dog will hunt. hunt, yeah, and then we're gonna go into the 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 thing that I evidently like to talk about is like the one offs, yeah, right? The rare case, yeah, where it, it happens it where sometimes they don't hunt, but generally you want to set yourself up for success and give you yourself the highest probability of a hunting dog, and with parents that hunt and a hunting lineage, that's your best chance. Doesn't mean that it's going to happen right. on all dogs, but that gives you your best chance. And we're going to go read some breeding books and talk about this <laughs> in six to nine months. <laughs> Adam, you're coming back. Uh, all right, so let's just, let's just move on to another one, uh, get out of these science books for you guys. Uh, let, let's, let's, just, let's go back to being a puppy. Never let your puppy play with squeaky toys or play tug of war with your puppy. Depends on their coefficient of inbreeding. <laughs> Absolutely, I would never do that. No, uh, I, I think I mean I play tug of war all the time with my puppy. Uh, some people will say that it creates a cooperation issue or just like a retrieving issue, whatever. I don't see anything wrong with it. I mean, I don't know. I think you could clean it up with force fetch but if you're not gonna do force that's fetch, adam's <laughs> yeah to a lot of stuff you can clean a lot of well, stuff up with and, force well fetch. that is my answer for anything retrieving because the force yeah. fetch you're gonna take the dog through a formalized program where you teach it what is acceptable and what is not when it's delivering game to your hand and playing tug of war is not acceptable so that's why i say i could clean it up with force fetch um so i'd I didn't do any tug of war. I stayed away from squeaky toys. It may not hurt anything, but um, my thoughts don't risk it. Yeah, don't play tug of war. Don't do any squeaky toys. That's that's my thoughts on it too. Yeah. T- tug of war. It's like, a, yeah, you can clean it up later. I personally don't like it. I don't do it. I personally despise squeaky toys. I don't know if it's more so because of the. Know, quote unquote, it's going to hurt game later on, right? Mm-hmm. Or I just I hate the noise and I hate squeaky toys. So yeah, I don't want to find out if it's a myth or not. I'm just going to yeah, go with. I just so I the, believe that, and my dog will live without squeaky toys. Yeah, and without tug of war. The squeaky toys, absolutely, I agree with. I mean, I don't, I don't do. So that you're either. separating it. Out I'm the separating two. the two. Yeah, okay. I mean, I've played. With Scout, I mean, I did tug of war. I did that with him quite a bit as a puppy. I didn't really do it a lot with Cash, and it wasn't just because I made, like, a decision not to do that. Um, I think it was just that since I had two dogs, they were screwing around with each other enough. I didn't have to fool with keep entertaining one. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but so you're calling, calling Colin, it a myth on the uh, the tug of war, but, there's, but you agree with the squeaky toy. Yeah, we'll do that. I'm a, agree with – both just out of personal yep okay all right so this one we hear a million times all day every day uh if you want a hunting dog don't let it stay in the house Mm -hmm. we all let our dogs stay in the house we all have hunting dogs 
and that's that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's like, like, so. I'm one thing we had a listener early on that was like, "Hey guys, tell us about your dogs. Do they live in the house or not?" And we weren't. I don't. Maybe we weren't clear on that at the beginning. He he, All, he was asking about how to live with a dog in the house when in heat. Okay, I thought there was one that had asked us about. You know, his dad had said not to. Not to we, uh, might, we might have, but by now, the but. thing is, our dogs, all of them, live in the house. They're part of the family. I mean, it's, I. It doesn't. It doesn't change anything in the field with them at all. No, and uh, some people will say that oh, it messes up a dog's nose. You know, smelling the uh, the candles your wife's got going on in the <laughs> That's house. That's hilarious. <laughs> but I haven't. I have not experienced that, so I can say that, uh, as far as I'm concerned, myth busted. I think it probably helps them to live in the house because you develop a bond with them. They get used to your your actions and your cues, and I think it might translate to the field. I agree. But those, you know, bath and body work candles that tear up the nose. <laughs> <laughs> that campfire so, smell, man. Yeah. Myth busted. You want the dog in the house? Put it in the house. Yep. Good to go. All right. Uh, next one. Run the pup with older dogs so it will learn. For, I can, uh, yeah, myth I'll, off the bat. But I've heard, I'm not a houndsman, but I've heard a lot of old coon hunters say that. Yeah. I mean, I asked a guy one night, how do you train these dogs? And he said, take them to the woods with older yep. dogs. And they <laughs> learn. I think it's probably genetic. With the bird dogs... I'm not going to sit here and say if you sit the dog on the side of the field watching the dog do something that's going to learn. I, I, I kind of get annoyed by the people that do that at training day because you have a dog in the field, go put your dog up. But I think that if you run them with an older dog, it's not going to learn how to point or steadiness or anything like that. There are certain qualities that the dog might pick up, such as better field search, pace good pacing in the field and not getting just blown out immediately there are a few few qualities it can pick up on but overall your dog is not going to learn to be a reliable hunting dog by running with an older dog in the field that's just my take yeah i, I agree so um i i now having done this i would tell you that i I think these dogs need to develop their own searches and everything um, independently. Um, there are a ton of people that do it the other way around, where you've got an older dog running around and, and they think that the younger dog's going to, you know, uh, key off of that dog. I, I did that actually with Scout. What I did on the first hunt that, call it hunt, the first thing that we did, um, he was about a little over four months old, four and a half months old. And, uh, I paid a guy to be my guide at a preserve who had a draught and um, scout basically ran around for the first two hours, not knowing what the heck was going on. And was, we had him on a long lead and he was chasing around this draught and the draught would go on point and we would hold scout there and uh, we would shoot the birds and scout would maybe go over and get the retrieve and hang out with the bird for a minute. And, you know, then we'd go on to the next thing. And then about, Two hours in, he finally realized, oh, I'm actually hunting. I'm not chasing around another dog in the field. So, I don't know. It didn't, obviously, it didn't hurt Scout on his overall development of search, 
but that's how I introduced it. And I don't know that there's anything wrong with it if you end up doing it independently later on. Yeah, but the look on your face when you described, <laughs> I took Scout to this preserve, I paid a dude with a draught, I kept him on a long lead, you're smiling knowing <laughs> that you know more than that now, and, yeah. and that is not the no, way to train a dog. I, I'm telling you that I mean, I it, think you like that... you had this kind of smirk on your face, like, I'm going to admit this to the world right now, <laughs> that at the time, I thought this was cool. And Dude. now you know it's not. At the time, I'm sitting here. Well, I mean, you I didn't know any better. Just, well, I, mean, I could I'm, share I'm the telling same you, stories with I'm you. I'm telling you right now that I think that at the end of the day, he was independently hunting and producing birds on his own. I don't know whether it was because he was he was following that dog around and realized like what he was doing, or he find I watched him that day while the drop was going around some other place just blow through uh it was actually like six or seven birds that had grouped up like i said it was a preserve hunt i don't know if they put all of them together or maybe they moved and, and relocated and all hooked up there but i watched them blow through that and then after that i saw them do some flash points and then we ended up i ended up shooting a bird but, off but a that point could have him. been he learned from the birds right and so that's why i'm saying i can't say like I, I have mixed feelings about this because now I did not – knowing what I know now, I didn't do it that way with cash, right? Yeah. yeah. And so that was I, because I wanted him to do it independently. Right. And I, I think that's that's the key is first dog you did it, second dog you didn't. And like Adam was saying, you you know better now, for lack of a better term. My deal is I don't think it's necessarily going to hurt up to an extent, but if you do have an impressionable puppy, it can get drawn out or stay too close depending on the older dog. It can develop certain trends maybe from that older dog that are undesirable possibly. So it's just like run, run them with, with an older dog maybe just – first trip or two maybe if you want to do it i'm not saying do it but if you want to do it but you need to get the dog out there on its own to independently search and figure it out on its own it's not gonna do it by watching another dog point like oh that dog pointed that's what i'm supposed to i do. think maybe we need to separate this into like field search water work retrieves something like that because we even talked about a potential method to get a dog to go in the water is to you know, hey, get another dog out there in the water and maybe it'll follow suit. But that's not teaching a dog how to hunt. That's yeah. teaching a dog. That's water that introduction. This, this water is okay. Yeah, but at the, yes, I agree with that. And I, I know that there are, so is the question more geared to like teaching it how to hunt? Yeah, that's or, the way I'm taking it. Okay. Well, teaching That's what how, I've heard from old timers like, yeah, put them out there with. With older dogs, you want your dog to hunt, put them out with an older experienced hunting dog. And I, I would argue that I want to hunt my puppy, quote, hunt, really just take some walks through the woods, hopefully we find birds, with me and some buddies or whatever, but not any other dogs because I want the dog to hunt for me, not for another dog. Inevitably another what dog happens initially. is is that dog ends up chasing the other dog around for however long it takes to realize that it's out there with its own job. Right? And so it it, it avoids that whole issue if you just take the dog out and allow it to produce game on its own. I yeah. agree. And then and then when you style. introduce it to hunting with another dog later, it knows 
Okay, this is not a 100% answer, but for the most part, they go, I've done this a bunch of times, I'm off hunting, and I'm not just chasing some other dog around. Yeah. So, I'm calling it a myth. Don't train a dog to hunt. I run with older dogs. Sounds like Adam's there. Yeah, I call it a myth. That, or, I mean, it's a... Are you indifferent, middle ground? Only if we'll he has say a check it's a cord. Myth. <laughs> It's a, it's a myth because you can obviously – I don't do it that way now, right? Yeah. Um, you know, run into training scenarios on other issues like we talked about with, yeah. like, water maybe a dog well, will get in. Well, there's nuance. There's, yeah. there's certain And here we go. We're talking about one-offs again. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm – Yeah. Overall – Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. So, next one. <laughs> Never teach a pointing dog to sit. It's everybody's favorite. Don't teach that pointing dog to sit. Yeah, we've talked about this a little yeah, bit already. Well, so we're not going to beat a dead horse. You teach your dogs to sit from the very beginning. You don't care. I put a little heat into it. Just be, I teach my dogs to sit, but I teach them to sit after woe just because why create possibly an issue on woe? We've seen some dogs that have an issue with sitting on woe. I just teach it after woe. I, I get to woe fairly early on in my program, and what I do, I teach woe, and then I'll teach sit, and I don't have any issues. So it's just like I put a little heat into it, but not much. I haven't taught my dog to sit yet. I saw pictures of him on Facebook sitting. Well, he will sit. He but, knows how. <laughs> yeah, but not on command. I've heard that uh, GSPs don't naturally sit. They have to be taught to sit. Well, both of his parents <laughs> both of his parents sit, so Cash, <laughs> Mitch learned how to sit. All right, yeah. so, so we're calling a myth on that one. If, if you're worried about it, just do like me. Just teach sit after woe, and then you don't have anything to worry about. So, all right, next one. Uh, <laughs> best way to introduce your dog to gunfire is banging pots and pans over them while they eat. We really just hit on this, I think, like two or three episodes ago. Uh, no, don't do it. Like, that's just, that's my take on it. If, if you want a longer drawn-out thing, I think Adam has something to say on this one. But uh, me, I, I say gunfire, no. Noise sensitivity, it can help with, but introduction to gunfire, no. Yeah, you and I talked about this earlier maybe yesterday i think banging pots and pans or clapping your hands or whatever making noise while they eat gets them used to loud noises so it could be the very beginning baby step to gun intro but it does not get them used to gunfire so i do make noises when i feed a puppy but i don't qualify that as gun intro yeah he's good for gun intro i i use that as a very small step towards the next thing I'm going to do is fire a cap gun while he's chasing a bird. And yeah. then I'm going to fire a blank gun while he's chasing a bird. And then uh, a 410 while he's chasing a bird and take it into as many possible steps as I can, because that's like the easiest problem to create and the hardest problem to fix. So I do, well, I don't bang pots and pans. That just sounds crazy, but I do clap my hands yeah. and, yeah, but it doesn't make him used to gunfire. So I, I know where Austin sits. I'm going to let him lead this one off because I know this is personally. 
I despise this one. I wish that it would die. I think that it has no we, place in this world. Yeah, I've never heard Alston talk it? about this, but I won't. Uh, yeah, I'm not. If you want to introduce your gun, crazy on this. If you want to introduce your gunfire to a dog, just take them to a shooting range with you. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> That's crazy. Like, yeah, I'm not doing that. To to me, it, we we again we touched on this a couple episodes again. If you want more more uh conversation on how to properly introduce your dogs to to anything uh go back and listen to a few episodes ago the exposure episode but this one the people that say they take their dogs to the gun range yeah some people do it i believe it but you're not setting the dog up for success and the dogs that you're taking to the gun range with you were gonna be good regardless of whether you took them or not and what you want to do with gun intro is take the extra step and go slow for the dogs that are 50-50 and that might show an issue. You want to go slow with them to hopefully prevent that issue. If you just go out to a gun range, that 50-50 dog might become gun shy just because you just took it to a gun range. And it's just like all you had to do was go slow. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy once you know a little bit about dog training, gun dog training, but initially for people that are just getting into it, it's very logical. You know, I need to get my dog used to gunfire. Oh man. Gunfire. Yeah. I can take him out to range and get him conditioned to that. So it's logical until you understand a little more about it. And then it becomes very irrational. (laughs) Yeah. It just, I wish that one would go away. Every time I see that on social media or somebody giving advice like, Hey, do this. It's like, come on. There, there was. I saw some guy not to go on a, a Facebook tangent because everybody says some crazy stuff on there. There's one, one body asked like, "Hey, my dog's showing some uh, gun sensitivity. What do you propose I do?" And they said, "Go put a bunch of boots and stuff in the dryer and set the kennel right up next to the dryer and turn it on full blast." <laughs> Give me a break, guys. Come on. <laughs> I can't believe they didn't tell him to uh, drive down the interstate on the little. <laughs> little rumble strip that makes noise they should have said that it's just like people go slow (laughs) think about this logically just because it works for the one bulletproof dog out there does not mean it's going to work for all dogs and there are systems out there that will work for all dogs if you go slow and you're smart about it and you actually put thought into it and I just think that this whole take your dog to the gun range would just die like I think that's one of the dumbest things that people can tell others and, you know, if you're that person, sorry, but you need to find a new method because you're going to pr- cause a gun-shy dog eventually. Yeah. I-, I got one more thing to add on this. I took it so slow with Mitchell with the gun intro that I made sure whenever I would take him out to go for a run. I mean, when he was 10 weeks old and I was just taking him out to the woods to romp around, I would make sure he saw me put a gun in the truck. I mean, I would walk into the kitchen with a gun. So you're starting with the visual. Yeah, start with a gun. visual. What's it going to hurt? Yeah, why not? It's not going to hurt anything. Yeah. And people can make fun of me, but I want the dog to associate, oh, man, every time I see that, I get to go and run that's, around in the woods. That's good. I've not heard that. That's yeah. good. Why not? Yeah. I mean, it, bottom line is you have a gun dog. You, uh, it's... You, you have to have the dog used to the gun. If your dog isn't good around a gun, what good is a gun dog? 
And so, do you have anything else to throw on it? I think we just I don't have anything. Eat it into the ground. All right, we're we're getting close here. Uh, you you kind of already touched on this one earlier. Jumping ahead, uh, never shoot furred game because the dogs will stop hunting for birds. Yeah. Uh, well, I think we've all been on hunts now where there's been some type of furred game produced. Nope. I just <laughs> and got, our dogs still hunt birds. I just got the snowshoe hair in Wisconsin last week. She literally gave, put it in my hand and then went off and found a grouse. That's so cool. <laughs> so it's a versatile dog. These people that say I don't do any fur game with the dogs because it won't it won't hurt hunt birds after it. It's like okay, what's the point of having a versatile breed then? Yeah. If if it's your if your if it's your personal choice, like you just don't want fur game, I get that. But don't say that you're not shooting that rabbit or squirrel because you don't want the dog yeah. to hunt a bird afterwards. Now that's that's an old school thought that still lingers around that a lot of people talk about. I remember when I was training scout and I put him on some rabbits and I took a video of it and I sent it to one of my buddies who doesn't who's not in this world and he showed it to a buddy at his work and his buddy was running pointing dogs and his buddy said you need to tell that guy not to put his short hair on rabbits otherwise it's not going to do anything with birds and i just told my buddy i said man that's i don't think like that that's not <laughs> that's not the that's not the real world you know it's one of these deals where it's i mean the german system actually tests their tracking on rabbits like they go through and a field and, and a fox retrieve. Yeah. And so they go through and it, there's a lot of furred game on all that stuff. So, yeah. um, all of our dogs have tracked rabbits. I mean, been on hunts where there's been, produ- well, maybe Adam, Adam shaking his head. <laughs> so maybe he hasn't. And may yeah. Is that, did you make a choice for that? Not so to I'm happen? not going to say that my dog will stop hunting birds if I put them on fur. But when I go out to hunt with my dog, I'm hunting birds. Yeah. So, I'm I'm not gonna shoot other stuff. Yeah, I mean, how's the dog? We don't. None of us want our dogs to chase deer. How's it know the difference between deer, squirrels, rabbits? Well, that's a whatever? good. That's a good point. I'm not gonna go if my dog jumps a deer. I'm not gonna shoot a deer if it's in season. Yeah, <laughs> and my dogs jump deer, and I don't want them to think that that's what we're out hunting. So. I always just try and fry the well not I hit them with the e collar when they're when they're chased deer. But that's the one time you use the word fry and then you Yeah, I, I look <laughs> took it back. But that's in my opinion that's, that's the, the one time, time you do actually hurt I, the dog. You give the them e-collar. some good stem on it, man. It's uh, called tough love. Yeah, yeah. So it's for their benefit. I see what you're saying, but at, at the same time, um I, we've Nick and I have been out on hunts at least where there's been furred game produced and we've still had productive points. I mean, my deal is yeah. it, it, it might turn into something where your dogs, if they smell a rabbit, they, they may go after the rabbit. But I'm not – I think this is more so that people think that they're going to just stop looking for birds to go look for that no, rabbit. They're and not that's, that's not true. Hunting. Now, I mean, there but is – they might start – rabbit hunting yeah they might <laughs> and you know what i like eating rabbit so <laughs> yeah again it's back to personal preference but your dog is not going to stop hunting birds because you shoot some rabbit or squirrel will it be more prone to chase a rabbit or squirrel yeah, yeah maybe yeah. yeah but it's up to you and what you want on your dog if you're if you don't want your dog running fur then yeah 
don't shoot the fur. But let's not say that your dog will stop hunting birds because they have a preference for fur. That's just I, I will true. say this. When we were in Wisconsin, the first day that I had cash out before he got hit by the porcupine, it was earlier that morning, I saw I saw a rabbit jump and run, and I saw him cross that track and start – going after the rabbit and I called him off of that just because I was trying to have a productive bird morning with, with cash. And so could have called him off the porcupine. I, like I said, I tried, <laughs> but by the time I started doing that, he was already evidently right up on it. All right. Uh, well that, that pretty much does it for the general training myths. There's all kinds of just dumb or there, there's some truth to some of them, but breed-specific myths or stereotypes, whatever you want to call it. I mean, you can go down the list. Every single breed has something to it that people just just stereotype on them. And just like everything in life, it's, it's an observation. They exist for a reason. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's not. We can sum all of that up by know the line, know the breeder, Pick your dog from a, a reputable breeder with a proven line that has the qualities that you want because all these breeds, it's, I mean, anything from setters don't retrieve or vishlas are soft and they don't like ducks or whatever. It's like there's VCs in all these dogs. Yeah. You just need to find the right breeder with the right line for you. But then are we talking about the one-offs that are the VCs or are we talking about, you know, what are we doing there? <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. I mean – it's, I mean, overall, it's... Are Vishla soft? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Picking on Vishla's, man. You're going to piss off some red Well, you mentioned that one. You said something about setters. Every setter I've seen, personally, hasn't retrieved. Yeah. But Bill's got a kennel full of retrieve or setters that retrieve. Yeah. So... There's VCs out there. Yeah, the generalizations are there for a reason because they are mostly true. They are generally true. But it... I get personally offended. The the guy that I grew up doing a lot of work for, he has setters. He goes to Wisconsin and hunts every year. They all retrieve. Always, no, they don't. They don't? He, he doesn't care if they do. Yeah. But he always talks about, yeah, this guy had a short hair one time, and it was crazy. He always bashes short hairs. He sends me these little memes about how <laughs> Dude, I think setter guys are. are like the biggest, like they they definitely do not like short hairs. Right, but I can't wait to go hunting with him. Because my dog's not crazy, you know. He just thinks that all short hairs are out of control, and my dog's not out of control. So I hear you. I mean, it's you got to like, know your dog and know yeah. kind of what you're getting. I know that I am getting some crazy with a short hair, so it's going to take a certain type of training to make them, yeah, well, be enjoyable for me. I mean, there's truth to all of it. Like you know, you want to talk about short hairs are crazy, R two. Crazy. All Don't you look at me. Are crazy. <laughs> it's he like, loves crazy. And small, I like crazy, yeah. Small moosefilanders. They're known for having a fantastic nose and kind of a soft point. See? Has a fantastic nose and it's kind of a soft point. Yep. Joe's a setter. Doesn't retrieve. It's like these. But it has a fantastic point. But it has a fantastic yeah, point. So I think you have to embrace the. Yeah, it's you know people generalization. People have to stop. Yeah, people have to stop trying to combat everybody and argue, and say, "Oh, my dog isn't doesn't live up to that." Like my dog does this and that. Okay, yeah, that's great. Like 
it's part of the fun, but it's just like some people take it way too seriously. It's just like some of the yeah. breed bashing, it's just for fun. Yeah. And it's just like, just, just take it with a grain of salt. It's part of the world that you live in. You know, we're guys, we give each other crap. Like it's just embrace it. Yeah. This is part of it. And, uh, but there are truths to it. I mean, we're batting 50, 50 on short hairs right now. Yeah. So. Looks like you're going to have to get another one. <laughs> nah, I'll, I'll try and get a small monster lander with a point. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't say that the, well, we'll see. We'll let the percentages work out on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, I mean, is there any any big ones that you, you guys thought we missed that we should touch on? We we're running a little long on this one, but I think we touched on a lot of this stuff and, you know, even got into some genetic uh, lessons between yeah, the two. Yeah, we're going to go over we're gonna, that stuff. I'm going to have to read up. We're going to have to come back on that. We'll do that as a bonus episode, and Adam and Austin debate. Lime breeding and inbreeding. If we do that, I'm going to bring a special guest that knows what they're talking about. I don't know who it's going to be, but it won't be me. <laughs> You're going to have a proxy. Yeah, well, that's what we'll do. We'll appoint people to be our our uh, speakers, so <laughs> yeah. that they'll have some legitimacy to what's discussed. All right. Well, guys, I I hope you enjoyed this. That we just want to touch on a lot of these because a lot of these you hear them all the time. And there's a lot of nuance to it. These are generalizations. Obviously, there's that one dog out of a thousand that, you know, doesn't live up to it or does live up to it, whatever. But uh, just like everything else in the in life, you can't judge it based off of one individual. There's a lot of nuance out there. And uh, so we're just coming at this from a couple guys that have been doing this for a few years, and we've seen a wide variety of dogs. And... Uh, a lot of these are true. A lot of these don't have anything to it. It's just uh, get get your dog and have fun with it, man. That's that's really all I have to say about it. I'm ready to go hunt again. <laughs> okay. Just <laughs> <laughs> do it. Good for you. <laughs> well, you said enjoy your dog. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all want to go to dog shows or just, you want to go hunt? <laughs> Well, hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, thanks for really thanks time. for coming on, and we'll get you on again here soon. And uh, I know everybody enjoyed the NAVD episode with you, and so thought it'd be com- good for you to come on and play uh, play the third vote with on uh, some of these topics. So, uh, guys, hope you enjoyed it. Sorry we went long. And uh, again, social media: Gun Dog at yourself, Instagram, Facebook, Gun Dog at yourself at gmail Gunner Kennels, use our link: Gun Dog at yourself at dot uh, com. And uh, yeah, and rate review. Yeah, rate review. Share us, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. See y'all. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. 
Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.